welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast and I'm joined by a panel of experienced tech leaders to discuss an intriguing topics, how to get the best out of engineers. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here and Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we delve deeper into this, let's work our way around the room and get some general introductions out of you. So we'll start with Simon. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm Simon. I'm 35 years old. I live in Copenhagen with my girlfriend. Uh, I've been working with software development for around 10 years now. I've been a consultant and worked in a Danish startup and been a consultant again. Uh, and right now, I am a tech lead in Adnami. Uh, and Adnami, the name is uh, Ad for advertisement, uh, Anami for wave in Japanese, so like advertisement wave. <laughs> um, and we specialize in facilitating what is called high impact advertisement, which is a more creative and efficient way of uh, bringing out your message uh, as opposed to what you know, like the standard old school banners. Um, and uh, we are a scale up, we are growing, we got funding last year, so it's quite exciting. I work with talented colleagues in building a nice product for our customers. Uh, besides work, I like, uh, I like being outdoors uh, in the nature and I was recently on Kilimanjaro a few weeks back. Uh, we got to the top, spent eight days on the mountain. It was a great experience. Uh, I like lifting weights, <laughs> uh, uh, but I also really like computer. So yeah, that's it for nice. me. Nice, I love that story. I remember when you first told me when we initially spoke, you know, regards the Adnami, the origin. <laughs> Where's the Japanese connection? I think it was more like the name uh, sounded good. Yeah. Uh, but a fun fact is that we are actually uh, providing ads in Japan as we speak. But currently it's in Europe mostly, but uh, we have grand uh, visions of taking over. <laughs> Great stuff. And moving on to Dennis, if you give us a little introduction, mate. Yes, thank you, Connor. So my name is Dennis, and I'm having the honor of uh, having the title Tech Lead at Novo Nordisk. Uh, I'm supporting our global production network within uh, injectable aesthetic products. And the department that I'm working at uh, is focusing on optimizing capacities and qualities with the use of manufacturing data. Um, we call this manufacturing intelligence. And within our project, product uh, portfolio, um, we are utilize, utilizing data science, advanced analytics, deep learning, and cloud infrastructure and services. So having the role as a tech lead is kind of broad. So I'm taking up the role both as a project manager, being an IT architect, being a data engineer, and I'm providing feedback to a lot of data initiatives, having a, a very holistic perspective now, having worked at Novo Nordisk for five years. Uh, so whenever people ask for 
uh, getting access to data across our different IT systems. Uh, I'm usually involved in, in doing that, uh, having worked with many of our different systems. Um, yeah, so I think that's pretty much covers my role in relation to work. And in my spare time, I also like lift and race. I like traveling. Uh, and then in, during the summertime, I'm having a powerboat that I uh, naturally spend a lot of time on during the summer period and, uh, and doing water sports. And moving on to Stephanus, if you give us a little introduction. Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, Connor. Uh, my name is Stefanos. I'm uh, soon to become uh, 34 uh, years old. Um, and I'm uh, originally from Greece. I uh, moved to Denmark eight years ago to uh, continue my studies. I spent many years studying. I finished computer and electrical engineering uh, back in Greece. And then I came here to do a master's in BDU on digital media engineering. And um, through basically my... Uh, my studying career, I was always interested in software development and engineering, but I had a passion for uh, things more physical and uh, where you could see your work turn into a product. So uh, not so much on the advanced computer science and math. So that led me to SHAPE, um, where I worked for the last eight years. I started there as an Android developer eight years ago, and eight years later, I'm still there. I'm sitting uh, these days as a team lead, um, and uh, basically I've been through uh, the tech lead role. Um, we have a kind of like a unique setup in SAPE where we have teams, but teams are there as social hubs, not as project hubs. So they focus around the people and uh, their social uh, and career growth. So you have, as a team lead, I have personal responsibility for each and everybody in my team. And then as in the tech lead role is basically um, you're involved in uh, client consultancy business where you're responsible for a product being delivered on time and uh, all the technical architecture and uh, decisions around the product. Um, and uh, SAP, we are basically a digital agency. We uh, specialize in making uh, mobile applications, but of course can also do websites and, and backend infrastructure as well. And um, we work with many different clients across many different sectors. And um, thankfully, since I've been there so many years, I saw the company also grow from 35 people to uh, more than 100. And actually also saw half of the company being sold uh, a few months ago. So um, it's, uh, it's interesting to follow the journey. Um, also, apart from work, since uh, I came to Denmark uh, all those years ago, it's kind of like, the work uh, development and the profession and personal development has been going from head to head. So um, similarly to others, I also really enjoy nature. And uh, thankfully, Denmark has a lot to offer. So I try to grasp that opportunity whenever I can. Uh, but I also really like uh, staying in, uh, especially due to the weather in the winter, watching series, watching movies, listening to good music. And um, yeah, I think uh, that's about it for me. Thank you for that one, Stefanos. And from anyone who is placed at Shape, who is listening in, thank you very much for your hospitality. Me and my colleagues were lucky enough to be over there last week and they hosted a great live podcast. So I appreciate that. Great company and great culture. And last by no means least, if we move over to Matthias. Yeah, so hi, or first, thank you for being here. But I had a kind of weird way into software development. Um, I grew up playing lots of sports and I really only wanted to play hockey professionally. Uh, but along the way, I, 
I saw that nutrition and exercise science was interesting in relation to that. And it seemed like the people who were out telling us about it had a kind of hard time communicating it in a way that uh, made people actually do something about it. So I ended up studying nutrition. Um, and my idea then was to become a personal coach of sorts. And then along the way, I kind of figured out that um, maybe uh, the best way to, to, to do that in a good way was actually something that would uh, be a bit broader and help more people. Um, I was lucky enough to get a job uh, working as a student at the National eHealth Authority. And I, they taught me a bit on how to do statistical analysis in SAS. I ended up automating a lot of my functions. Uh, and then I got my first job in a startup uh, called Linus eHealth that ended up going very well. So I went from doing just platform content to building a platform content team, managing the support, um, managing a web design department, uh, doing data. And ultimately, I ended up doing product management when we needed to rebuild our payment solution. And uh, so now I'm working as a product manager on a rehabilitation app called Care, at a company called Rokako, who uh, mainly focuses on doing motion capture and then is trying to branch out into other things that kind of uses the expertise within that field. Um, in my spare time, I do a lot of different uh, physical activities. I really like surfing, skiing, snowboarding, working out. And I've also uh, played a lot of computer games. And then I'm really trying to learn how to code because I think that understanding what's going on as a product manager really helps with understanding why everyone is so mad or why things aren't functioning. I think that's a great little bit of information on your background. And I think that relates directly to the topic in question today, why engineers get mad. Well, not on that front. <laughs> The title of the topic today is how to get the best out of engineers and I'd like to move on to this topic in focus. So Dennis, I know that you've got a question that directly relates to the title itself. If you'd like to pose that to the panel. Sure. And I think it's a, as you say, a pretty good fly-in to the question. So I'm going to start out by asking the question, how to define the best when it comes to engineers? Yes, um, Stefanos here. I think I'll, uh, I'll pick up first uh, the question. And I think you have a really, really interesting point here, Dennis. I think uh, the word best can mean uh, many different things, both for different people, but also for different organizations. And um, I think it highly depends also on the company culture and the work ethic each company has, of course, and what you know they need to get most of their business. Do they just, you know, people who want to provide code uh, nonstop quickly, so they focus into performance, or do they believe in knowledge sharing and um, another kind of things? So um, I'll tell you uh, what I think based on my personal uh, opinion, but also working in shape, what we focus on uh, on doing. And I think if I had to, I, I think it's not one thing, right? It's a few different aspects, but if I had to pinpoint it down to one thing, I think uh, it's what we call product focus. I think if you want to be good at whatever you do, uh, you need to see the bigger picture. So I think the best engineers that I've worked with are um, the ones 
that they don't focus solely on solving this single task or this single solution in front of them, but have a holistic understanding of the product that they are building. And we have a quote that we kind of use as a motto, uh, and we tell that to everybody that gets hired, that we are here to make great products, not to move Jira tickets. So um, I stand by behind that a lot, and I'd rather have somebody who doesn't know how to code well that you can teach everybody. Um, but you know the love and the motivation uh, about what you're building and trying to understand what you do in one screen and how it affects another screen, but even the bigger picture, how does it affect um, the organization itself and why does the client need this and why is the client mad and why are they asking us to deliver in time? So um, I think uh, to sum up, I think being product focused and uh, seeing the bigger picture is the most important. But last but not least, uh, of course, you need to know your craft. So if you're an iOS developer, you need to be good at that. But uh, I honestly believe this is something that can be taught by good mentors and good knowledge sharing and um, in general uh, by the company environment that um, you're in. I think that's a great take, Stephanus, in terms of being product orientated, understanding the bigger picture and instilling that commitment to the organization. Matthias, what's your take? Yeah, well, I have this uh, sense that uh, best is often something that management kind of decides for everyone. And it ends up being a kind of an issue because then you end up having KPIs or fluffy buzzwords like everyone needs to be empowered. We need to be more agile. Uh, and in some way, you can both be agile, be empowered and still run anything by KPIs. And usually that just doesn't work out. So my idea is that you should, obviously you need to think about what management think, but I think that teams uh, should figure out what's best for them as well. Um, because as Stefan has also said, uh, like just uh, moving uh, 40 tasks to done uh, doesn't necessarily mean, mean that your product got any better. Um, so, and that would also, like talking to management, that could just be, oh, but well, we're outcome focused instead of output focused. And uh, I think getting away from the from the buzzwords and the KPIs and the OKRs and, and actually just talking as a team and figuring out what it is that's best to you is is the way, way to go. I think you just asked what my follow-up question would have been on the back of that one. I was going to say, you mentioned the team should figure it out themselves. What tools do you have to put in place to, you know, initiate that? But I think you made a great point there about communication. Simon, what's your take on defining the best in terms of getting them out of engineers? Yeah, uh, great point, guys. Um, especially the whole team thing uh, that resonates with me um, that you mentioned, Matthias. Uh, but I think uh, for the team to be able to uh, be empowered and do stuff by themselves. They also need some buy-in from management somehow. You need to define some boundaries where they can make their own decisions. Uh, and I and I heard this uh, like, like a quote that uh, it's about uh, that you have to nurture like a, like an ecosystem for for building great products uh, instead of creating a sausage factory for making software. So it's more like you have to facilitate that people can come together and they can move in the right direction. And 
I, I also thought about the KPI point because uh, you can also invent some KPIs that might be more feasible than, I don't know, you have to do two commits every day. That doesn't tell you anything about the quality of the commits, right? Or keystrokes or whatever. Perhaps you could use like product milestones. Like this feature has to, you know, in Q1, we will do this feature. And maybe you could measure that compared with the employee satisfaction, something that is more abstract and use those as proxies for productivity. Yeah. And that's a great quote. And one last thing also, Stefanos, you mentioned uh, about uh, the, the product centric way of thinking. Uh, and I, I was also coming back to, uh, it's also about building the right thing in the end, because I mean, when you reach a certain point, technically, you're more or less able to build anything you want, but like, which one do we prioritize and decide on? Uh, yeah, I think that's interesting. Dennis, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I think a lot of things, a lot of clever things has already been said. Uh, I would like to add that um, I, I think that what makes a good engineer is is also depends on I think on the type of company the engineer is working for and perhaps also the uh, the department they are working in and, and the uh, the industry. Um, I believe that in working with new technologies that I am, I I prefer an engineer that is very curious and is able to uh, and has the knowledge of how to obtain new knowledge. Uh, so yeah is is curious on identifying and constantly improve themselves and, and learning about new technologies being developed, um, being able to solve uh, problems, troubleshoot by investigating. Um, that I think that the that at least is one of the, the key um, personal traits of a good engineer in my opinion. Um, some great insights there, guys. I think the way that you've explored it shows how multifaceted it can be. And I mean, Simon, do you have anything further to add on that? Uh, uh, yeah, I was. that's a great point, Dennis, because it also depends on the company. Like if you're a consultant, uh, the the goal can be different sometimes. It's, it might be more about hours and billable hours. Whereas, for instance, right now in at NAMI, uh, we are at development department of, I don't know, like 15 people divided into different teams. And we don't aim at scaling up that to great sizes. We want to build software that is uh, scalable and maintainable. So we make a lot of tests and all that jazz. But if you have to sell that to a customer, like, yeah, this will take 5,000 hours, but someone else can do it in 1,000 without the tests, then they will probably buy the project for 1,000 hours. So maybe that's the better way in that context. Yeah. So. I, I think it's a good point that, uh, yeah, a consultancy is at least something completely different from a good engineer, I believe, in, in many, uh, many types of engineers, at least. So I agree that I think for many consultants presenting to senior management, it's more important that they have uh, good communication skills, for, for example, and are good analysts and are able to present uh, findings from, uh, yeah, findings that, that talks into the purpose of the company to when when uh, when doing consultancy i think it links back again to what stefano said as well in regard to being fundamentally good at your craft i think that's somewhere where they can bridge that gap but i think as you say when it comes to building corporate culture and instilling that within the organization it's certainly a difficult challenge and i think simon in regard to culture 
that's something that you'd like to post to the group. Yes. Uh, uh, my, my question that I want the panel's insights on uh, is how do you ensure a strong uh, engineering culture when the team grows or changes? It's uh, quite current. Uh, in Adnami, we are growing. New people are getting hired. And uh, everyone knows that when you sit in the same office and you see each other every day, it's it's uh, like the culture builds itself, but it becomes more difficult when you are remote or people are in a different office on a different uh, level in the building. Uh, so how do you ensure that the engineering culture, uh, yeah, it's still strong when when we are growing? Um, yeah. Yeah, I can start out. Um, like, admittedly, I really have no experience building engineering teams, but the teams that I have built. Uh, I really feel like the the culture was set by the leaders of those teams. So uh, my my go-to would always be to to find the leaders of the team that exemplify the type of culture that you want to build. As we mentioned or was talked about before, like there's always obviously a difference between what the best is for uh, each example, but. Um, so, so there, it is kind of up to you to figure out what, what it is that you need. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like getting the people who do the right thing and are ready to admit uh, when they're wrong and are actually interested in listening um, are the types of people that could make sure that uh, everyone else feel like they have the opportunity to to speak up and actually be part of a team um yeah um i, I feel like there's a, a few things with uh, google has all of these uh, five things that you need to actually uh, create uh, high performance teams um but most of it comes down to really like being respectful um and and getting people like really just it's about listening most of it is psychological safety and that finding a leader that exemplifies that should be the, the starting point yeah i think that's a great point in terms of setting an example and then that will echo and ripple throughout the, the team that's beneath them dennis what's your team yeah i'll continue i I, th I think it is a difficult question actually um i think i think it starts with finding people who actually resonates with the with the culture and the values of a specific team within a uh, company um, and then I think that the onboarding progress uh, process of uh, onboarding new team members is really important that the new team member is probably onboarded to uh, previous projects executed the learnings the team has had um, that the new member understands the purpose or what we call as on data of the team uh, and that you align the, the values with this new team member. Um, I think it's also important that the new engineer is uh, probably uh, introduced to the other members of the team. So I think it's really valuable to to encourage setting up uh, one-on-ones with the closest colleagues at least as soon as possible. I've, I've seen some examples where that didn't happen and yeah, it, it just, I think, uh, includes the new team member so much better in, into the organization doing that. 
like actively encouraging. I think you make a great point about onboarding and how crucial that is as part of the process, you know, in terms of getting the right people, ensuring that everybody is orientated to the culture. But I think one thing that I'd like to ask as well is in these uncertain times, how do you deal with the uncertainty of onboarding and knowing the, the projectile for growth? As you I think it's what you're trying to what you're trying to get out of Simon is, you know, you're scaling and you want to maintain that culture. But how do you continue to do so as it continues rapidly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also because they are great points. Uh, like because the way I see it is there there is the tacit culture, the one that just happens. Of course, you're conscious about hiring people who can carry it, but there's also like what practical things can you do? Uh, and I think like the what the explicit one-on-ones when you join, that's actually a great idea. And maybe also defining the purpose and the values. Maybe like be actually being able to explain them. I I think that's I mean for me at least it's more difficult than I would think to put it in writing. Maybe that's a good. Yeah. What about yourself, Stefanos? Yeah, I. I can say that, as I also said in the introduction, I've actually been through that process uh, in shape. Like I joined when we were 30 people and I saw the company grow uh, a lot. And uh, it was one of our biggest worries because we were a small um, small team known for our good Friday bars and our PlayStation and, uh, and having parties. And uh, then how did you keep that growing? Um, but also you mentioned engineering culture. So engineering culture, in my mind, is not only the social stuff, but it's also like how you, you know, produce good products. Um, so I would like basically to split your question in two. I think first I will focus on the technical aspect. And uh, I think uh, Dennis uh, hit it on the spot with uh, one-to-ones and onboarding. That's something we also did. We made a complete new onboarding process from scratch where uh, it goes basically uh, through six weeks every week you get a different topic into the organization and tell you basically what we expect from you as an engineer what is the mindset what is the philosophy how do you communicate between departments all kinds of stuff but basically if i had to summarize it in one point it would be learn to keep the processes so if you have a good process uh, that works for four people I don't see why it doesn't work for 10 or 15 or 20. Of course, you might need to slightly accommodate the increased number. But if you have a process that works, don't change it, right? Trust the process. And then you just need to teach that process you know, to, to the new employees. And of course, to aid for that, you mentioned one-to-one, Dennis. So completely, I, I, my next point is that you need to have a mentoral aspect, uh, part of knowledge sharing, how you do that in your own company. I think it depends, of course, on the structure and the team structure you have, but it could be one-to-ones. Could be like, um, we have a six-week mentorship, so you're assigned a person to take care of you. Uh, they know that you're there and uh, it's fine if you bombard them with questions, it's their job and all the kinds of things. So I think technically you can solve this by having good processes and onboarding. The social aspect, I think, is making everyone feel involved. So the fact that you just joined a giant organization or a small team, it's still new to everybody. So making them feel welcomed and involved. So there I see kind of like three key stakeholders. One is the leader. So as a leader, we need to ensure personal interaction, know the people individually, actually know them, get to know them. They're not products. They're not, you know, man hours. They, they're actual people. Then uh, as a team, 
you need to facilitate team bonding, some time sharing activities together. And uh, lastly, as a company, I think the company needs to work hard to keep the social culture at size. So that is Friday bars, that is, you know, a company trip, that is whatever is the company culture. Uh, it's up to its company to define, but then the company itself and the management team will need to work in order to keep that at size. And um, yeah, so uh, Simon, uh, what do you think about your own question? I think uh, I have a lot of notes right here from all of you guys that I have typed down. And uh, it's super cool and very inspiring. Uh, thank you. But uh, personally, uh, I also kind of divided it, I think, subconsciously into like more technical stuff. Um, for instance, we all went on a skiing trip to Italy in January, like the whole company. Uh, and before that, we have worked with our new colleagues from Serbia for half a year. We knew them only through the monitor, but we had a really good thing going on. And meeting them was kind of like meeting someone you have known for some time. Of course, they were taller than you expected. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was great. Uh, that was the greatest team building uh, activity ever. And it was the first time I even skied. So um, anyways, <clears throat> besides that, like the technical part, I was thinking um, that it could be facilitated by like, for instance, pipelines or whatever built uh, concept you use when you commit your code. It goes through a pipeline. There are certain checks, right? Like uh, we have, a, uh, we have, we are running tests and all that, and the pipeline fails if you've got something or you screwed up. Um, I think personally, that's also like a, a part of an engineering culture, uh, and it's a nice part because it's a tool that tells you you did something wrong. It's not a colleague, <laughs> so there are no uh, hurt emotions there. Um, yeah, and then I think. Doing activities, we have uh, we 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 were one team a few months back. Now we are two teams, but we still schedule ten minutes every morning before our stand up, where we have a huddle, all of us, where we just talk. Uh, sometimes we don't say so much. Sometimes people talk a lot, uh, and then we join our res our respective stand ups afterwards. So I I I resonate your points and. I'm very happy that I, I got a lot of new ones here. Um, yeah. I think that was a really nice take on it. I think there was multiple ways to do it. I think you made some great points about it being down to finding the right people. But then Simon, I think you made some alternative points. That it's about the activities you do, the time you set aside to improve this culture, to work on it and to actively meet up with other team members. And that's something that can go a long way. I think speaking on the the soft skills that can be developed. I know, Stephanus, your your question is directly related to this. Yes, uh, the question I would like to uh, to put onto the panel is uh, how uh, how do you ensure uh, how do you improve soft skills on engineers, but especially on otherwise highly skilled engineers? How do you how do you work with uh, with them if you see they need um, better uh, soft skills? I think uh, I can start up out with that one. Um, and personally, I think that many engineers suffer a bit from not being the most uh, extroverted. And therefore, I believe that working with communication and leadership skills is uh, really important. Um, personally, I think that uh, it, it has given me a lot of value 
practicing communication actively during presentations, asking for feedback on my communication, and also taking courses both in presentation and communication. Um, in leadership, I also think that I've taken some leadership uh, courses uh, where we actively tried having a leadership role, uh, providing feedback to each other. We, it was a, I attended this course where it was a, on a rotational basis where we swapped uh, the role of having of being the leader. Uh, so we both had some guidance from uh, people working with human resources, giving us feedback on our leadership, uh, how, how we affected leadership, basically. And uh, that has given me a lot of things that I'm applying to my daily work now, uh, being a, a project manager, uh, doing different development projects. And, and finally, I think also that uh, developing empathy is important for engineers. Um, we often have, have the need to share feedback, both constructive and positive. Uh, and I think it's important also to consider the, uh, how, how we are doing that to make sure that we are uh, getting the best, uh, building the best relationship that we can within a team and uh, actively developing our empath empathic skills to make sure that we, um, that, that we are getting the best out of each other. Um, yeah, I don't know how to empathize that, but uh, that's at least something that I'm, I'm trying to adapt uh, actively in my work uh, to make sure that whenever I'm communicating that, that people understand it, uh, when I'm when also including feedback, that they understand that this is for, <laughs> it's, I'm doing it to improve the process, uh, not pointing your fingers, right? Simon, if you pick it up from there. Yes. Uh, so my, my, my first thought was, uh, uh, okay, so, so the premise, I guess, is like soft skills are like your ability to communicate and like the interpersonal stuff, uh, that whole dimension. Uh, and then I thought, that I guess it also depends on the role of the engineer. Uh, for instance, it would be, quite good if you're a if if you're a customer facing consultant or something like that that you have improved soft skills uh, or if you're a salesman who, uh, if you are a developer who sits in house maybe the need for doing grand presentations is not as like as big as a consultant etc um, but improving it uh, i think your your point then is about giving giving feedback is uh, is very important. I think some indivi some individuals are driven by themselves for improving, and they are maybe uh, to a big extent self-aware about their shortcomings. Uh, and maybe other people they could use uh, like help in seeing their their blind sides. Uh, so I think feedback is is quite important. Uh, and I think also Matthias's point earlier about the psychological safety. I think that's that's the that's the first step and the first requirement for this. Because um, talking about soft skills, I could imagine is something which is which could be I don't know, private, for like a better word. Uh, it can be hurtful, for instance, if you are <laughs> presenting and someone tells you you did a bad job, for instance. So it's very um, I don't have the word, but 
It's like fragile manner. You have to be careful, right? It's people's emotions. Uh, so you have to have an environment where feedback is okay and to speak your mind is okay and it's okay to fail and to make 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 mistakes. Uh, and I think it all comes down to practice with soft skills. Uh, I guess when everyone were uh, used to be a teenager, uh, soft skills could vary to different degrees, right? Uh, I remember I remember myself when I, I was actually walking around sometimes asking people what the time was just because I had a really hard time asking talking to strangers and I remember this lady I asked her and she just pointed up there was a big watch on the wall and she's like hey, that's the watch up uh, okay thank you uh, but I was just doing it to to get out of that comfort zone right and when I, when I think back now it's like it's the most natural thing uh, but that's 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 my experience and that is not necessarily the same for other people so I think it's a very individual thing I think it requires a lot of trust yeah, I think you went, you made a great point there about the fragility of delivering feedback as well, how difficult yeah. that can be. I mean, is that something you adopt on a case-to-case -case basis, depending on the person it's being delivered to? Uh, I, yeah, but that that part is something that is very subconscious to me, which, I, I mean, I would, I would like to be much more um, mindful and conscious about why I talk this way to someone, uh, because you do it for a reason, right? Uh, but, I mean... I think it also comes back to like the leader setting the example. This is how we do when something goes wrong. We write in the general chat something is wrong instead of saying nothing. That's also a soft skill thing. So I think a lot of it can be uh, alleviated by by uh, by by pushing a process and teaching people a process. Because I think there's also a personal aspect to it. I mean, you cannot expect everyone to become good at, pre at presenting or being enjoy like enjoy presenting and all that so yeah <laughs> i think that's a good point that you made there i think that's a sign of a good leader that he comes subconsciously i think it's something you learn through trial and error and i don't think it necessarily has to be a, a specific procedure where you you adapt everything to each person knowingly i think if you're just aware of the way that they feel i think that directly links to the psychological safety element matthias mentioned earlier and speaking of which what's your take on this question Matthias in terms of improving other soft skills uh, I think it's interesting to be in a forum like this talking about uh, soft skills with uh, people working in, in engineering where most people probably wouldn't say that yeah I've always just had it like I've known exactly what to do in, in these types of situations and I can honestly say like growing up it was not like uh, I had an uh, easy time with that uh, being a very logical thinker um but i, I had a mom who's like I insanely good with this now i've tried my very best to actually mimic that because uh, there's something very nice about someone being brutally honest but in a way that uh, you always know that she doesn't have any like uh, ill towards you when saying those things it's just being honest like your cat died, but uh, you know you have to get on with your life. And uh, so uh, I, I've I've learned a lot from that, but also kind of within the context of product management, you have to figure out that if you want to hear people's opinions, you need to figure out the best way to get those. And people are always very happy about doing workshops, but you have a lot of people who wouldn't actually speak at the workshops. And those are usually the people who, who maybe wouldn't have the soft skills or 
don't like doing that thing. So you need to figure out a way to push them towards that while being, maybe you're still pushing them out of their comfort zone, but you're still like keeping it within reason, like not forcing someone who doesn't like presenting to go present to the CEO, like this is your thing now, not providing any help. Um, so yeah, like just trying to nudge people towards it. If you know that, that people could, could need some help with that, like really just try your best to make sure that they get those types of interactions. I know just, uh, from doing the product management part, like the most honest opinions you get from people is, is if you just ask them when they're drinking coffee, cause they're not, they're not in the mode where they're thinking. I should provide a good answer now. They're just like, yeah, I'm just speaking to Kalf and uh, he asked me a question and then they answer very honestly, which is what I'm looking for. And so, yeah, I, I, I think it's about uh, finding those uh, good places to get people a bit out of their comfort zone, because as everyone kind of said, it, it, you really do need to practice it. And, I think it certainly does create for an interesting dynamic when we've got people who are technical technical leads, obviously developers in the past, and then you've got a product manager as well. I think it makes for an interesting take on different issues and the way that they're approached. But I know, Stefanos, this was a, a question that you posed to the panel. I'd be intrigued to hear your take. Yeah. So one of the reasons I, I came up with the question was also because uh, I was responsible to, to try and teach uh, other tech leads in shape and train them how to become better at uh, soft skills. And that was one of the most interesting and challenging things I ever had to do. So one of the, I, I really love, first of all, that all three of you focused in communication because it seems it's usually the most problematic and the most important in engineers. But while I was researching, first I found there's actually like 10 or 12 soft skills and there's like so difficult to define like there are things like motivation leadership organization adaptability problem solving uh critical thinking and and the list goes on right so at least uh, in my mind first you have to define some soft skill sets and subsets and then um, as all of you pointed out it's kind of like a personal thing so uh, i think it's up to the leaders and being a team lead myself, uh, you you have the responsibility to identify the shortcomings of people early on, and then actually work with them uh, together on a one-to-one -one basis to improve this specific trait uh, by mentoring um, or by any other mean necessary. I mean, if we focus on communication, which seems to be the focus area, at this discussion, for example, if you see that somebody has problem in uh, written communication, then maybe you can be asked to be BCC in email, send you the email draft beforehand, work with him, see what there is to improve, if that is important for their role. Um, if then they have a verbal problem, because you see that with a lot of people, they have stage fright the first time they're in meetings with clients or with other stakeholders, then maybe um, don't throw them uh, under the bus uh, out of the blue. Uh, start having that person in meetings with you um, without them doing anything, just being there, listening. And then when they take the leadership, then you be there with them, you listening, and then do like a debrief afterwards, like what worked, what didn't work. At least that's what uh, we try to do at SAPE, but definitely 
there is always room for improvement for all of us, both in the leadership side and in the managerial side. And that's why I wanted to hear your opinion on this. And uh, I think you all had really, really good points, especially the psychological aspect. I think that's like really uh, to the point. Uh, I agree. I think some great takes on that question. But I'd like to bring it back to Matthias' question. So I know this was something that was mentioned very early on. You mentioned it alongside Buzzword. But pose the question to the group, Matthias, and let's see what people, let's see what the take is. Yeah, I know that we've, we've talked a bit about it already, and there are quite a few buzzwords in this world, and especially with software software engineering. Um, and um, I want to ask about what it means to be empowered to you um, exactly, because I think it's a fluffy thing, but it's also something that I actually think is really important. So yeah, what does it mean to be empowered? I can... Uh... I can pitch in with my my view on it. Uh, so what I think, I and I didn't look it up in the dictionary, I guess the dictionary has some definition, but uh, <laughs> my subjective uh, perception of uh, empowered uh, is that you have power, you have, you have been given power. Uh, and for that to be, to be real, to actually have an effect, uh, and in the context of a software development team, then it has to be an organizational decision, a, a strategic decision, that that this team they have this uh, like this uh, room to operate in. Um, for instance, uh, if if a, if a if a team is given very specific instructions on how to do stuff and how to implement stuff, I would say that they are not empowered. Uh, they are just there to do stuff that chat GPT might be able to do, right? Uh, but the opposite uh, could be that the team has been given uh, the task of um, implementing a feature. They have, they have even been on board in uh, breaking it down uh, with a designer, like what is feasible, what makes sense, and we can maybe do this in this time span or some milestone. So they also have their own buy-in from the team, and then they can decide more or less on how they do it. I would I would say that that is an example of being empowered. And I'm also quite quite biased because this is what we're trying to do in Etnami, <laughs> uh, because uh, we have been doing like Scrum, Agile, like you do two week sprints. Uh, we 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 shoehorn stuff into two week sprints. The bigger tasks usually take more, so they go over. You know, you push them in front, and you and it, and it can become this weird thing where you defeat the purpose of the sprint uh, because you just push it. It was a big task, or you try to cut it down into some weird chunks. It doesn't make sense. So we are so we are flirting with something called shape up, uh, which is. It's like a tool that was invented by the people behind something called Basecamp, but it it kind of takes another approach to 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 features where you have like some developers and a designer doing a feature without doing other stuff. So they're protected for like four to six weeks, and we have been doing it with some features the last couple of months, and it's 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 great. We have a lot of freedom uh, from. From management or from CTO, uh, but I, I guess this is also this also comes down to the fact that our CTO he thinks this is a great idea, right? 
And if I if our studio didn't think that, then the power would be cut. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Great. Uh, well, sorry. Yeah, I think I think so. Uh, like a uh, very important thing is that the team is included before it becomes a specific task. Because what I see is that when everyone is able to pitch in, like what is a good idea? Can we do this instead? This doesn't make sense because the tech doesn't allow it. And we make decisions together. Everyone is much more on board and it's a much better experience and the result is better. Yeah. Great. Uh, yes. Uh, Stefanos here, I can, uh, I, I, I can um, continue on uh, what you said because I think, Simon, uh, you had a really great point uh, with the whole thing with like uh, features and designers and developers working together. Uh, for us being a mobile development company, we, we really constantly work in making new features. So this is kind of like our bread and butter. That's all we do, right? So um, when actually uh, I got... Uh, you know, this empowered question, I actually had to look it up. It's like, it's a buzzword. I wasn't really sure what it was referring to. And uh, from the little bit uh, I read about it, it's, as you said, it's a buzzword, how everybody defines it. So the way at least I tried to translate it to what we do at SAPE and what I personally believe is the freedom to take your own decisions. And uh, both as an engineer, as a developer, as a designer, as a quality engineer, like any role, you name it, right? So um, I will use the word I've used a lot today. It's the word process. It's something I really like. So I think is as long as you have a process at work, but then that still lets freedom for people to take their own decisions, that's where you've uh, hit the uh, gold, right? So at least what we try to do is we have this funny thing that we tell people their first week that um, saves ways to kind of like throw you in the sea and see if you can swim. And uh, we will only help you if you ask for help. Otherwise, it's fine. It's like you were hired for a reason. I don't care if you're a junior or a senior, right? Uh, you're, we believe in you. The moment you cross the door, you're a saper. So there's like absolute trust. So you have to take responsibility and then speak your mind. So that kind of comes with like two points. You're responsible for the code you make. This gives you a lot of freedom. I'm not going to ask you how you're going to do this architecture, how you're going to implement it. Uh, feel free to chat about it, you know, with other colleagues. And uh, we have principal engineers that you can go ask about these things. But of course, that also gives you accountability, right? So then it's up to you to ask for help. And if that's on day one or in day 100, that's totally fine. Uh, help is always given, right? So uh, I think that's really important that in the end, you empower the individual, but then uh, the team succeeds and fails together. So there's no one above the team. Um, so if somebody messes up, then everybody else comes in and helps that person. So uh, it's kind of like a two-way street. You start junior, you become senior, then you mentor somebody else and you kind of like move the torch uh, along. Um, and yeah, I think that's what it means to me at least. And that's how we try to uh, achieve it. So moving on uh, to Dennis, I guess. Yes, thank you, Stefan. And I think you're making some really good points here as well. Um, you mentioned that uh, it's, it's about freedom to make your own decisions. And I think I would like to say, say that uh, for me, it's, it's more than 
for me, it's, a, it's an important feeling of my motivation that I that I need to have in, in order to feel that my actions are actually uh, creating uh, an impact. Um, and I think that's one of the key things to establish this feeling of empowerment uh, among the engineers in the team is to set up the right balance between autonomy and support. Uh, I like your example with the you have it being thrown on, out in the uh, water. But uh, so, but you need you need to to set up the, the right balance between these two, and uh, to make the engineers take ownership of their task, but at the same time without making them afraid of failing. Uh, I think that is important as well uh, because they'll just hinder their performance, uh, and you will end up with engineers that has to uh, yeah that become very dependent of the senior engineers in the team and having to uh, to ask questions and, and confirmation all the time. Uh, to me, I think also that uh, being empowered means having both the knowledge, the skills, the resources, and the authority to take action and, uh, and make decisions that has the desired outcome. Um, and, and finally, I have also uh, thought about that the recognition for the achievements and contributions that uh, an engineer uh, yeah, uh, provide is important uh, for, the, for, the, for the engineers to feel empowered. So knowing how these individuals, small contributions, talk into the greater purpose of the company. Um, like an example is that in my department, I, I work as a tech lead with IT and data, uh, but it makes me feel more empowered knowing that my data projects uh, makes my company reaching even more patients with medicine than we otherwise would. Um, so yeah, that's important for me as well, at least. Some really great takes there. I think Simon, you kicked us off with a great start. You know, you have to be given power. You can't be told you've got to operate in these room, in this X amount of room and you act under these parameters. And then I think you echoed that Dennis, you know, in terms of you have to be given the knowledge, skills and authority in order to put these into action. But I really like the analogy as well, Stephanus. I think it's a great take being thrown in the sea and see if you can swim. But Matthias, what's your take from a product perspective? <clears throat> well, the, the reason I asked is because uh, when I started out with product management, I had a tech lead uh, who I now consider a really good friend, but he was very adamant about not being a developer. And he always, I found that very curious, but he, he kept saying that he was not a developer, he was an engineer and everyone on his team was an engineer. And uh, I, I finally understood that at one point that, um, you know, there's, there's something special about software engineering as a whole that has made it kind of normal to treat people as code monkeys, where like, uh, like you wouldn't see it in other jobs uh, where you're paying people that much money where you wouldn't actually rely on their expertise. Um, like the code monkey is just about being like, make this feature. It's supposed to look exactly like this, not asking any questions to the people who are actually going to be building it about what's a good idea or not. So to me, the, the empowered thing is that uh, you actually make everyone involved in the decision making, uh, in, make everyone involved in the decision making of anything that is related to the work that they're doing. Uh, not necessarily that you have to be the decision maker in the end, but um, as Simon also said, like 
you know, you need to know what room to operate in because obviously uh, just giving someone the idea, say, hey, go build a favorite feature for this thing. That is something that I have seen. And then you end up with something that maybe isn't related to what you were really asking for. And so I think that there's um, a, 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 a line there where you need to think about or it often ends up being either you're micromanaging people or you're empowering them and going full. I'm not going to tell them anything about what really to do. And and both of them are wrong. Um, so um, to me, like most of it comes down to actually involving the people that are supposed to do it. And as Stefano also said, like if you're making something and the design is an important part, then I'm not the one who's going to go tell the designer what to do. I'm going to go tell the designer. So these are my thoughts and this is what I'm thinking about because I'm trying to solve this thing. Can you help me figure out the best way to do the design part of that? And maybe this is what the engineers told me. So this is not an option. And so I feel like a big part of what my job is, is actually just uh, again, I've said this quite a few times, but listening to people is really what it comes down to. Like my job as a product manager is like maybe I have some part in doing the figuring out what the customers are saying, but all of the building parts is, is comes down to other people. Um, so yeah, and, and but the the hard part about that is that it also means you actually have to trust all of those people to do a good job. Um, because no one guy is actually going to be able to monitor it the whole way through the process. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, and I think in bigger organizations, the trust part is is very often an issue. So, I think some great points made there, gents. I think it was really interesting to hear from the product perspective. And I think, as you say, communication is something that's been echoed throughout the entirety of this episode. But at this stage, I'll just ask, is there anything else that anybody would like to post to the panel or anything further to add? In which case, then, I'd like to thank you all for some amazing contributions this afternoon. If you'd like to be involved in a future episode, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, Connor Leyland. And on that note, I'll see you all soon.